AdamandEve.com is the world's number one online source for adult toys. And I'm horrified is the world's number one source for nightmares, aren't we, Sam? We so are. So, we've joined forces to bring you some sweet deals. Use our offer code HORROR at checkout for 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's H-O-R-R-O-R. AdamandEve.com. We're not horrified at all. Why? Hello, everyone. Hi, listeners. Welcome to another exciting episode, an intriguing episode, a... Give me another adjective, quick. Of I'm horrified. (laughs) I undercut you. (laughs) I couldn't... No, the truth is that I couldn't think of another adjective, so... You know what? I think we got it in two. So how can you improve? I'm Sam Bunton. And I'm Allie Rayner. And we are your co-hosts on this um, awful, awful journey... Through just the pits of hell. Yeah, it's episode 28, I think. That sounds amazing. Yeah, we're almost at 30, so it sounds less good than 30, but... Oh my god. We gotta earn it. Once we get to episode 30, we should both, like, leave our wives. Yeah. Buy red cars. Yeah. Get a house in Beverly Hills. Yes. Go full Jake Paul. Yeah. That's an earlier episode for those of you who have been around a lot long enough. Ugh. Don't go full him, he sucks. Or Logan Paul. No Pauls. Unless your name is Paul and you're just a nice person. In which case, hi Paul, you're welcome here. Any Pauls listening? Oh my god, Let tweet us. No on Twitter, us. yeah, they, we don't get that kind of information. I'd love to, um. if your name is Paul, tweet us. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, what are you talking about today? Today I am gonna talk about the satanic panic. Ooh, that sounds sexy, flirty, Hell seductive, yeah. I love dark. rhymes, and I also love... People freaking out about nothing. Yes, absolutely. What are you talking about today, Allie? I'm talking about something that's totally warranted to freak out about, which is pimple popping videos. Eep is right, but we're not there yet. We're not there. We have to get through a whole lot of nasty before we can get to pimple popping videos. Which is like the nastiest thing I'll probably ever talk about (laughs) on this podcast, but... We're doing it. Here we go. We took an oath, so. (laughs) We did. We put our hands. Yeah, like doctors, you know. Yeah. If we were going to take an I'm horrified oath, what book would you want to swear on? Mine would be The Art of the Deal by Donald Trump. (laughs) That's a really good one. (laughs) Now I'm just thinking about, like, I don't know. I think I just go old classic Bible. There's enough crazy shit in there anyways. That's true. That's true. But speaking of the Bible, perfect segue. Let's talk about the opposite of the Bible, yes. w- which is uh, the Satanic Bible. <laughs> they they have a whole Bible? Yeah, they wrote one. All right, tell me about it. All right. So, today we're going to talk about the Satanic Panic, which was a moral panic that originated in the United States in the 1980s, spreading through many parts of the world by the late 1990s. And this was basically a concern among people that there was satanic ritual abuse happening to their children. Oy vey. That Satanists owned the world and were doing these crazy orgy sex rituals. Sounds like a slamming weekend. Yes, and it was just all the wealthy and powerful people, and they were, wanted to watch porn and have prostitutes and probably take your child from you. What's the bad news? I know. I know. It sounds like heaven compared to the, our current year. <laughs> compared to parenting? <laughs> sounds great. Yes. So that's basically what it is. Um, now isn't the time. 
in the last episode that I did the the first story on, which was genetic sexual attraction, I had to give a very weird trigger warning for like, this is icky, but it's not actually child abuse. But if child abuse icks you out, be aware. I'm going to have to give that same trigger warning. What's oh wrong God. with me? Fair enough. The stories I'm about to tell you are not true. And that's the thing that comes out of the satanic panic, is that none of it was real. <laughs> but it's still going to be upsetting. But we still talk about alleged abuse against children that we later discover didn't happen, wasn't real. So you make your own choices about so that. So you make your own choice about that. I'm really not going to get too detailed when it comes to that stuff. But just, I wanted you to know, and awesome. I just wanted to look at myself and my choices that I have to give that trigger warning two weeks in a row. Yeah. For weird. Jesus Christ, Sam. <laughs> Not quite. Or opposite of Jesus Christ. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do they have a Jesus Christ? I think it's just Satan all the way. So, to understand why the satanic panic happened, we have to understand what the world was like. So I'm going to talk about in the 60s and 70s, the rise of the occult. Love it. Right? That sounds like a sexy book I might read. I love the occult. Bring it on. Hell yeah. So, in 1966, Anton LaVey founds the Church of Satan. Cool. And I've interacted with Satanists on Twitter and stuff, and they are almost universally cool people. I'm sure they are. Chill-ass mofos. That's like Wiccans are usually super nice. Exactly. If not very specific about, like, where they get their crystals from. For sure. Yeah. Good people. Um, Satanists, especially modern Satanists, are really like that. Like, they consider Satanism more like a school of thought and, like, in a lot of ways, a way to point out the hypocrisies of the church than they do, like, literally worship Satan. Fair enough, yeah. But, I like them better than Scientologists. Amen. So, the Church of Satan is officially founded in 1966, and even though modern Satanists are just, like, chill people, it does seem like back in the day they were a little spookier. I don't think they were doing anything that crazy, but they were just, like, living it up. Like, yeah, we're Satanists. What are you going to do about Wearing it? Wearing lots of chokers. Absolutely. Um, so already people are not thrilled that Satanists even exist. Then it's 1969, and the Manson family commits a series of ritualistic murders. Right, I remember. So that freaks people out. <laughs> mm-hmm. They don't love that. And that's the same year that Anton LaVey publishes the Satanic Bible. Oh... So people are, like, freaking out a little bit. Like, wow, seems like, uh, seems like Satan is telling these nice white kids to kill a bunch of people. Yeah, I sense a theme. In 1972, a man named Mike Warnke, a self-proclaimed Christian evangelist, releases his memoir, Satan Seller. Ooh. About a childhood and young adulthood he claimed was spent in, in intense satanic worship. So, in this memoir, he claims he served as a satanic high priest and was engaged, among other things, in ritualistic sex orgies. Continue. So there's not a lot to continue because it was not true. Oh, come on. He was fake. <laughs> but he had Rich, this... you, you pull me in with ritualistic sex orgies and <laughs> you, you, you can't cash that check, I just Sam? leave you hanging. God. That's my style. When can I start talking about pimples? <laughs> Um, he is the first, but there is actually a series of, like, four or five guys who kind of all have this same methodology in the 70s, and it's to say that, like, I was a satanic high priest. I was in sex orgies, and I was killing animals and just, like, rubbing their parts on me. But then I found Jesus. Oh, so it's more of a... 
and they become super successful. tactic. Got it. Yeah. The Christian community loves them because they have these wild conversion stories. Right. They've conquered the devil. Literally Satan. Yeah. The man himself. And so now all these stories are kind of in the public consciousness of like, well, you heard about that Herschel Smith. He, you know, fucked a goat, but now he loves Jesus. Like those stories are just kind of Uh, starting to. The American dream. (laughs) (laughs) Those stories are starting to like permeate the public consciousness. Then in 1973, The Exorcist comes out. Oh, yeah. And I cannot undervalue how much people were freaked out by The Exorcist. People were, like, vomiting in theaters and, like, screaming and running out. Oh, they just fucking hated it. It was a huge deal. And it was also claiming to be based on a true story, and that was one of the first times that a movie did that without actually being true. So people, like... Really? Really thought it was based on a true story for a while, yeah. Yeah. I guess it depends on how much you believe in ghosts and demons Exactly. So... All of that's happening, and the other thing about the 1970s is there's just too many serial killers to count. So many. All your favorite serial killers were doing their thing in the 70s. Any you can think of. So true. We're just living it up. Uh, A specific example that comes to mind, the Zodiac Killer, who was doing weird, spooky things and was never caught. And Golden State Killer was in the 70s, I believe. Absolutely. Feels like Satan's influence. So true. That's all I'm gonna say. Feels like evil is on the rise. And Zodiac had, like, weird symbols that were in the newspapers, Mm -hmm. and, like, that's very ritualistic. I don't know about you, Allie, but to me that sounds like Satan. So, it's now 1980, and let's really get this panic started. Heck yeah. Get this panic started on a Saturday night. Oh my god. (laughs) What if I pulled out a full musical parody? I'd cut it. (laughs) No, you have to leave (laughs) Al three minutes in. So in 1980... A memoir called Michelle Remembers Mm. comes out. It's written by a woman named Michelle Smith and her husband, the psychiatrist, Louis Pazder. An important note is that Pazder is both Michelle Smith's therapist and husband, which, yuck. Nope. Wrong. That's bad. I am sick of the common thread in all the things we do of, like, male psychologists doing everything wrong. Just so bad. Well, young Larry is going to keep fucking things up, so just wait. They had started writing it in 1976, about three years into Michelle visiting uh, Dr. Pazder for her depression. She confided in him that she felt she had something important to tell him, but she could not remember what it was. Okay. Shortly thereafter, Pazder and Smith had a session where Smith screamed for 25 minutes nonstop and eventually started speaking in the voice of a five-year-old. Jarring. I mean, I've been to therapy. It's not that different. (laughs) (laughs) Over the next 14 14 months, Pastor spent over 600 hours using hypnosis to help Smith recover alleged memories of satanic ritual abuse that occurred to her when she was five at the hands of her mother and others, all of whom Smith said were members of a satanic cult. Okay. So the book chronicles these recovered memories of abuse from the first alleged ritual attended by Smith To the final one, an 81-day ritual that summoned the devil himself and involved the intervention of Jesus, the Virgin Mary, and Michael the Archangel. No way they were all free at the same time. (laughs) They were. They put it on their calendar. They used a doodle. And during this ritual, these good Christian figures removed the scars received by Michelle throughout the year of abuse and removed her memories of the events, quote, until the time was right. 
Um, I'm starting to feel the presence of bullshit, but take me deeper. Absolutely. Um, And so she just is alleging um, all this awful, awful abuse that happened to her in this year that her mother was, in theory, part of this satanic cult. But this feels like a good time to talk about the horrifying phenomenon of recovered memory therapy. Oh, that could be its own segment. Oh, it could. Basically, there is no scientific evidence that you can repress and recover memories the way that you hear about. Like, in the media. It is possible to repress memories, and it is possible to recover memories, but when you do that, like... Only in 2% of scenarios does that happen because, like, you were talking to a therapist and he helped you. Yeah. Like, usually it just kind of, like, happens. You're triggered by, like, something you see or something you smell or something, and that's the way the memory comes back to you. Right. This blew my mind at first because I just feel like recovered memory therapy and things like hypnosis are not that outrageous. Like, they're not totally mainstream, but they're not, like... It's something you hear about. It's something you hear about. Like, hypnosis feels to me like a thing that people totally talk about and, like, think it works. Mm -hmm. But hypnosis, along with guided imagery therapy and therapy that uses suggestive questions, are actually not going to recover any real memories. Instead, they are going to implant false memories, which feel like they are real to the person, but are objectively fake. So this phenomenon of getting false memories kind of implanted in you was proved by Elizabeth Loftus and her Lost in the Mall experiment. Ooh, fancy. I know. In this experiment, participants are given, I think, four scenarios that they are told happened to them as a child. Um, And they're told, like, we talked to your mom or your dad or your oldest, like, whoever would be around. Mm -hmm. And here are four stories from your childhood. And they tell them that they're testing just, like, general memory. So they're like... Here's the basics. Can you write down all the details you remember from this story? Right. So, like, maybe the story says, like, one time at dinner, the dog took the turkey, Mm -hmm. and Jimmy and I chased him around the table. And then, like, you're Jimmy, and you have to be like, okay, yeah, I remember it was Christmas, and I was wearing a red sweater, and we had been watching the show earlier in the day. Like, you kind of just fill in what you can remember. Right. What the participants don't know is that three of the stories are true and provided by the participant's family, but one story is not true. And that story is getting lost in a mall, being found by an elderly person, and then ultimately reunited with your family. Which feels like a pretty normal story. Yeah, that could have happened to anyone. Feels like something that could have happened. So, here's what happens. They're given these four scenarios. They're told to, like, write down and fill out the details. And then the person goes, okay, one of those wasn't true. Do you remember which which one was didn't actually happen? And 25% of people, so a fourth of all participants, could not identify which scenarios were false. And if you told them, like, oh, it was the Lost in the Mall story, they would, like, disagree with you and be like, no, that happened. Even though it did not. That's wild. That's how suggestible the human mind is and how good it is at filling in missing details. Like, they would say, like, no, I remember, like, I was trying to, like, go get a backpack that my mom wouldn't let me have. And the the person can only be like, that didn't happen. I don't know what to tell you. You give the brain, like, a grain of rice and it just runs with it. Exactly. And it can do all these things. Yeah. Which is so scary and crazy and wild and fascinating. Yeah. Basically, I am forever horrified by the human brain. 
So true. And the human brain and the way that memory works could and should be its own episode. We should do that eventually. I know. Ugh. So, poor Michelle probably did not, was not, like, trying to lie about being abused by a satanic cult. Probably she was kind of led to think she was, and now she was, like, really suffering the trauma. Yeah. Of thinking that happened to her, which is the worst of both worlds. Yes. It's awful. This book becomes a huge hit. Of course it does. I would buy it. And uh, Lawrence Pazder becomes the expert of satanic ritual abuse, so much so that he coins the term satanic ritual abuse. He sucks. I hate him. And he's basically telling everyone the Satanists control everything. They've been around since before the Christian church. What? Which is not true. Anton LaVey founded them in 1966, <laughs> but okay. I just see, like, Anton LaVey, like, raising his hand, like, excuse me. <laughs> how dare you? In a way, how dare. Um, and that, like, all everyone in power is a Satanist, and they're all just trying to kidnap your kid, and, like... Thanks, Obama. <laughs> basically, thanks, Satanists. Like, that's what the mood is. But people love to be scared. And the 80s is also the birth of stranger danger. Because in the 70s, we just kind of let our kids run around, and then they all got killed by those serial killers. Mm -hmm. So now it's the 80s, and we're like, anyone could murder you. Yeah, done with, like, the latchkey kid era. Which is good. It's good that we're keeping better track of our children and not just letting them wander around. Mm -hmm. But they're not necessarily going to get kidnapped by a Satanist and used in some kind of sex cult ritual. Spoken like a just devil-may-care literally mother, Samantha. <laughs> That's me. But basically, this idea of Satan worship becomes, like, a trend. And, like, Maury has stuff about it. Geraldo Rivera does this big story on it. Oh, Geraldo. And it's, like, in pop culture. And also, like, pour one out for your local goth girl, who was just yeah. trying to, like, wear black lipstick and make it clear that Steve is not her real dad, and now everyone's looking at her like, are you gonna kidnap my child and sacrifice a goat or some shit? And she's like, no. She's I'm like, just trying to, like, skip fourth period yeah. and, like, smoke some weed behind exactly. the school. Poor goths. I feel bad. I feel terrible. So that all brings us to what I found to be, like, one of the craziest things that happened. And so many fucking crazy shit happened during the Satanic Panic. And, like, it's still kind of happening. Like, when um, Amanda Knox was accused of murdering her roommate in Italy, some people thought that, like, that was in a satanic ritual. Like, that was a prevailing theory for a while. Yeah, but those Italians. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Very true. They'll go crazy over that stuff. <laughs> anyway, that brings us to the McMartin Preschool Trial. The largest, longest, and most expensive trial in California history. Wow. And California loves their trials, so. They do. It's a real statement. It all begins in 1983, just three years after the book Michelle Remembers is released. A woman named Judy Johnson claimed that one of the teachers at McMartin Preschool, Ray Bucky, had abused her son. Ray Bucky is the grandson of Virginia McMartin, the founder of the school, and the son of school administrator Peggy McMartin Bucky. So it was a very big deal that he was being accused of this because okay. they were very much like the infrastructure of the school. So the idea that this might be happening at a preschool is, of course, horrifying, but not very Satan-y yet. Yet. Just you wait. Judy Johnson next alleges that the employees at the school are having sexual contact with animals. Okay. And that, sh that she had seen Ray Bucky flying in the air. Alright, now it's getting kind of crucible-y. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and she's also alleging things about Peggy Bucky, who is Ray's mom and who is, like, an administrator at the school. And so now uh, the allegations are more ri- widespread. They're for multiple staff members, and it's getting spookier. So the police then do something that... Okay. I'm not a police officer. Let's get that out of the way. <laughs> I obviously do not know the best practices of investigating things. And this is a super horrible thing being alleged, even if it is getting weird and Judy is saying Ray was flying through the air. So, like, I get why you would want to get as much info as fast as possible. But what they do is they send a letter to 200 parents of kids at McMartin, basically saying Ray Bucky is under investigation for child sexual abuse and you should ask your kid if they've seen anything. Okay. I I don't know. Uh, I'm not a police officer either. I'm not. To I don't me, know what to do. A woman who is not a police officer. Fair enough. This seems like the type of move that is going to cause widespread panic among parents and may result in a lot of false leads. That's true. It could. But you want to get the news out there. Um, to quote from the letter directly, this is the letter that 200 sets of parents get. Please question your child to see if he or she has been witness to any crime or if she or she, he or she has been a victim. Our investigation indicates that possible criminal acts include oral sex, fondling of genitals, buttocks, or chest area, and sodomy, possibly committed under the pretense of taking the child's temperature. Also, photos may have been taken of children without their clothing. <laughs> so that doesn't leave anything to the imagination. Yeah. So if my kid came home with that note pinned on oh them, oh my god, I would, I would panic. Yeah, I would freak the fuck out. Of course, of course I, I would. would. Yeah. And of course, that is what the parents of McMartin Preschool do. And then they bring in the Children's Institute International, or CII, a Los Angeles abuse therapy clinic run by a woman named Key McFarlane to interview all the kids. Because they think like this is the this is a positive next step. Is let's start really trying to figure this out. This woman runs this institute. Okay. You might be wondering, why didn't I introduce the head of this institute as Dr. Key McFarlane? Is she not a doctor? Yeah, she has no psychological or medical training, so great. No, come on. Um, McFarlane and her people begin interviewing the kids. But remember when I said uh, that false memories are really easy to implant? No. It's like a hundred times easier with a preschooler. I'm sure it is. So this thing that CII is especially doing is suggestive questioning. For example, they are the people who invented holding up a doll and saying, tell me where Ray Bucky touched you. Really? Yeah. Key McFarlane invented that. And that is actually not a bias-free way of asking the question because you are assuming they were touched and just asking the kid to point where you think they should point. So if it points at the armpit, you'll be like, where else? And then they'll point at the leg, and you'll be like, where else? And then you praise the child for being honest once it points where you think it should point, and a child goes, oh, so they want me to say I was touched here, and I am a child who has no concept of being what yeah. being touched here means, so sure. They just they just understand, like, positive reinforcement at exactly. that age. So that is bad. That's horrible. And they're also just saying, like, what do you think might have happened? And the kid's just being like, maybe he touched her. And they're like, maybe he did. Wow, what else happened? Like, they're just, like, leading the kids on these speculative journeys. Uh, And we know from Michelle Remembers that the brain will fill in a lot of details if you give the most basic scenario. So saying to a kid, Ray Bucky took you into the nurse's office leaves them all this room to, like, come up with this crazy shit, especially if you're saying, like, 
I'm so proud of you. You're so brave for telling me the thing that I thought I was going to hear. Exactly. Oh, that's horrible. It's bad. It's bad. Um, but at the time, we're worried that Satanists are running the world, so we're fine with it. And all in all, CII claimed that 360 children had been abused based on their work at the school. 360 kids are what CII Jesus comes up Christ. with. Christ. And some of the allegations that these kids have said are bizarre and a little Satan-y. Fair enough. It was alleged that, in addition to having been sexually abused, the children saw witches fly and traveled in hot air balloons. When they were shown a series of photographs by the McMartin's lawyer, one child identified Chuck Norris as one of his abusers. Uh, some of the abuse was alleged to have occurred in secret tunnels beneath the school. That don't exist, I'm that sure. That don't exist. And a ton of excavation was done around it because, like, a, quite a few kids were like, they took me into the tunnels. And there just are no tunnels. There aren't any. Got it. There were claims of orgies at car washes and airports and of children being flushed down toilets to secret rooms where they would be abused, then cleaned up and presented back to their parents. Again, like something a kid would come up with. Or a crazy (laughs) person who's not an accredited doctor. Either of those. This is an especially just wild example. Some interviewed children talked of a game called Naked Movie Star. And to the therapist, that sounded like they were forcibly photographed nude. However, during the trial, testimony from the children stated that Naked Movie Star was actually a rhyming taunt used to tease other children. And it's, what you say is what you are, you're a naked movie star. And it actually had literally nothing to do with having your naked photo taken. Oh my god. This is so creepy. (laughs) But they just heard the words Naked Movie Star and they were like, holy shit, satanic pornography in this preschool. And it's like, no, did you know that kids were immature? Yeah. (laughs) Upon looking at the tapes of the interviews later on, Michael Maloney, a British clinical psychologist and professor of psychiatry, so someone with an actual doctorate, was basically like, this was definitely bullshit. And he noted that the interviews contained far more speech from adults than children, which is not what you should do. You should let the kids talk. And that um, despite highly coercive interviewing techniques, initially all the children were resistant to the interviewer's attempts to elicit disclosures. So, like, it took a really long time. Yeah, initially nobody. Exactly. And the the thing that's infuriating about this is that usually if a child says they are being sexually abused, they are being sexually abused. Yes. And you have to believe them and do absolutely everything in your power to to get to the bottom of what is actually happening, you know? So, like, the fact that you would be so eager to get this, like, damning information that you would discredit the actual experience that these children are having is just so despicable. Exactly, yeah. Uh, This McMartin preschool trial ultimately lasted seven years and cost $15 million. Oi! And the wildest part of it is just that none of it seems to have happened. Like, the initial woman, Judy Johnson, who accused Ray Bucky, it was later found that she had been battling, like, mental illness for her whole life, and she was also an alcoholic. And it seems like one of the symptoms of her mental illness was delusions. So the fact that she was saying he abused my son and also was flying. Makes sense in that situation. (laughs) Exactly. And like, she's the person who kicked it all off and then it just spiraled. And of course, the trial just makes the satanic panic a bigger phenomenon and everyone's more obsessed with it. And it's on Maury even more. And it just is becoming this huge, huge things. Which means a lot of people are wrongfully accused of ritual abuse in the 80s. Like, I was scrolling through an article, and it was, like, a ton of people who ran Lee's little preschools, or who, 
you know, were partial caretakers for kids and parents would just freak out. And it was so easy to like bring kids to these like not true recovered memories that a lot of people went to jail because they were like, you wrote a pantogram in the ground and then abused my kid on top of it. And then you slaughtered a goat. And the person would be like, what? I don't want to talk about the Crucible again, but this <laughs> is the Crucible. Yeah, and it happened in real life. And everyone is Winona Ryder in the <laughs> film remake. There you go. So, so briefly, I'm going to talk about the West Memphis Three. Have you heard this story? Yes. So this story is, like, so sad, and there is so much to it, and it honestly could be its own full segment, and I really might do one about it eventually. So, so I'm just... give us the bullet points. Yeah, I'm all... I'm just going to touch on it. So to summarize, in May of 1993, the bodies of second graders Stevie Edwards Branch, Christopher Byers, and Michael Moore were found in West Memphis, Arkansas. Awful. Yeah, that's terrible. Three teenage delinquents, Jesse Miss Kelly Jr., who was 17, Jason Baldwin, who was 16, and Damian Eccles, who was 18, were quickly zeroed in on as the suspects. And their supposed motive was a satanic ritual. And they were all kind of like gothy kids, and they had been like shoplifting and doing stuff like that. They were kind of weird. And so their defense attorney later said, quote, They were the unusual kids in town. They dressed in black. They listened to heavy metal music. They were goths before goths were fashionable. And so they were easy targets. So these three teenagers are found guilty and sentenced. Two of them are sentenced to life in prison. And Damien Eccles is sentenced to death. And it took until 2011 for their convictions to be overturned due to lack of evidence. Oh my god. So these, (laughs) these three were in jail for like 20 years. Because of the satanic panic. And one of them, like, could have died. Literally. Yeah, oh my goodness. That's crazy. And, on top of that, the actual murderer of these three poor boys was never found. Because the police were also distracted by the glamour of Satan. Yeah. Just this trendy, edgy thing. Exactly. So they weren't, like, doing real good investigative police work. They were doing, like, ooh, what's so spooky? But it's just, like, so that, they finally got their conviction overturned in 2011. Like, We say the satanic panic was this 80s and 90s phenomenon, but, like, clearly it is still impacting us into the present day. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, let's all take a minute to think about the Salem witch trials and how we all look back and we're like, lol, idiots, you thought that witches were in your town and you killed a bunch of women. How wild. But we all got just as swept up blaming weirdos for bad shit happening 30 years ago. So true. And we'll probably do it again in another 30 years. Like, that's just the way people are and mob mentalities and shit. Heck yeah. And just how scapegoating works. Yes. You know, when you learn more about the Salem witch trials, like, Sarah What's-Her-Face, like, the first person who was accused of being a witch, she was just, like, a fucking weirdo. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, like, she, I think she was sort of like, the town drunk, and mm-hmm. she had children out of wedlock, and she was just, you know, like, offbeat, and people didn't like her. And that's why she got accused. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that simple, folks. Exactly. So just, like, I don't know. Like, just think about it. This just, this, this research, like, I kind of started researching this thinking to myself, like, ooh, funny, satanic panic. But, like, it really kind of left me bummed out of, like, this is what humanity can do. Mm-hmm. And, like, thank God we didn't, like, literally kill anybody about this but we send people to jail for years and years and years i mean we sent somebody to death over it mm-hmm. we sentenced somebody to death over it yeah so it's just lucky that we overturned it before yeah. we killed him um yeah just like humans suck bad and 
And also, I just feel awful for the kids who had to, like, go through this, like... Oh, it's so true. All this stuff. And now they're like, that never happened to me. Like, how weird that it ruled my whole life for years. But it didn't really happen. I can't imagine. I'm horrified. Satanic panic. My god. That was great. And terrible. (laughs) The great and terrible satanic panic. Um, yeah, it was wild. Um, there's a lot of great articles about it. We'll tweet all of them out. And there's also, there's a video on YouTube that we should tweet of, like, in the mid-90s. It's, like, a police station. It's, like, here's how to deal with Satanists in your district. Oh, we'll definitely tweet that. It's good content. It's awful, but it's great content. Are you ready for a palate cleanser? (laughs) You say that, but I know it's gonna end with pus, so I'm not sure, but yes, This is a rough episode. (laughs) Guys, we're sorry. We're sorry. We're doing our best. And you're welcome. (laughs) So, uh, so the title of this segment should clue you in on exactly what I'm about to talk about, um, but in case you've been living under a rock the past few years, Mm -hmm. specifically a rock without YouTube. Yes. Um, there are quite literally thousands of videos- where you can watch, right now, pimples and cysts being popped off of human bodies in a doctor's office or otherwise. You're aware of this fact. Sam, right off the bat, how does that make you feel? Mixed. All right. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I can elaborate later, but I do feel But that's just, you know what? I just gotta reiterate that in... This 2018 year of our Lord, that's the world we live in, all right? So that's <laughs> if you, if you nothing Google I can do about that. pimple popping, a ton of content's gonna come your so way. So much content. So these videos can range in content all over the place. And I'm going to go into detail. Ooh. Um, there are videos that range from specifically whiteheads to blackheads. Oh my. Specific areas of the body that are affected by these pimples. Um, multiple blemishes, or just one focal point, or focal pimple, as I like to call it. Ooh, sexy. Um, just that one time, I don't refer to those a lot. <laughs> um, there are specific rare skin conditions that lead to, like, you know, cysts the size of a grapefruit, or, like, clogged pores oh that have God. been there for years. Like, that was another thing that I saw a lot of. It was, like, some videos would say, like, popping a 17-year-old blackhead, and I was, Ooh. like, a combination of... Why would you care so much about that? And then, like, I'm going to click on that. Yeah. (laughs) How was that one? Was that a good one? (laughs) Oh, God, I'll get to it. So I truly cannot say anything about online pimple-popping video culture without discussing Dr. Sandra Lee. Oh, she has a TV show now. She does. So she is also known as Dr. Pimple Popper. And Dr. Lee is a board-certified dermatologist, skin cancer surgeon, and cosmetic surgeon from California. So she is the real fucking deal. Hell yeah. She's not like this charlatan psychologist she's who came in. She's not Key McFarlane. Yeah, Key McFarlane. Um, she's, a, she's a dermatologist. She's licensed. And she's, she first started posting videos in 2010, but gained an insane cult following around 2014, 2015. As of today, she has over 4 million subscribers. Good for you, Sandra. And that has resulted in over 2 billion, with a B, views. Damn. Yeah. So she refers to her loyal followers as popaholics. <laughs> and even sells comedone extractors, which are like little looped metal instruments for the DIY community and the pimple popping community. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Um, and they have a logo on them. They're $20. I looked them up. <laughs> um, she was on Jimmy Kimmel this year to promote her new TV show, as you mentioned, which is on TLC. And I swear they will put 
anything on TLC. Oh, yeah. But so, she is the perfect example of the fact that this has a serious, impactful mainstream success right now. There's absolutely no, there is absolutely no denying it. So this brings us to the most natural question anyone could have at this point, which is why? Yes. <laughs> why, dear God, would why, anyone God, want to watch this? In the list of disgusting things, this is basically one of the most disgusting things like you could conceive of is like popping somebody's mass of bodily fluid on video so like where how is it even logical that two billion views do you know more than that that's just her channel um well sam i am sorry to have to say that we have to go balls deep into science right now oh my god okay uh can you dig it (laughs) i finally my lady of science yes it's time let's go Before we discuss why so many people love gross things, we must first discuss why they gross us out. So thankfully, philosophy professor Daniel Kelly wrote a book called Yuck! The Nature and Moral Significance of Disgust, which I would love for Christmas, by the way. Oh my god, that sounds Um, sounds so interesting. He was interviewed in several of the articles I read, but here's an excerpt from LiveScience.com discussing, you know, his overall opinions on disgust. Um, much like fear, Kelly said, disgust is a universal human emotion that exists primarily to protect you. Quote, my take is that there are two prime directives of disgust, Kelly told Live Science. One is to protect us from eating stuff that will poison us. Anything that might be disruptive to your gastrointestinal system is probably going to disgust you. The second directive is to keep us from getting sick in other ways, Kelly said. You can think of it as being part of your behavioral immune system. If you see someone else and they're sneezing and they're snot running down their nose, that's disgusting. And part of the reason that it's disgusting is that there's an observable, reliable indicator that that person is sick with something you don't want to catch. So you want to stay away from them. So that makes total sense. Yeah, wow. I never thought about it that way. Bodily fluids oozing out of the body is a signal that something is not quite right. Yeah. Um, And bodily fluids are apparently one of the main... Um, primary disgust elicitors, and that's a that's a term that I found from an interview with psychologist Dean McKay. So that's what's happening to our bodies when we see and get grossed out or nauseous by a pimple being popped. It's mm-hmm. like, it's not right. It's this disgusting element of our disgusting bodies. Yeah. So says science, and so say I. So, but then we have to go back then to my initial question, which is why, oh, why, oh, why, oh. <laughs> Would people elect to watch these insanely graphic, close-up videos of something we are instinctively wired against? Well, there are a couple of reasons. When we pop our own pimples, when we are in control of the bodily fluids, so to speak, (laughs) we get an intense rush of dopamine to our brains that gives us a literal sense of euphoria. I believe that. I absolutely believe that. This is something I can totally relate to. Like, if I... Let's get just personal. Yeah, you guys know us. (laughs) We're disgusting. Like, if I see a zit, like, on my chin or something, and it's, like, ready to go, I, like, get excited. Like, I'm like, oh, fuck yeah. Like, here we go. I'll have... It's time. I've had stuff on watch. I've been like, not yet. Not yet, but tomorrow I'm gonna get ya. Like, and I think it's just the thing of, like, the pressure and then the release. Yes. I feel It feels like I'm talking about sex right now. I know. It's... Which is really inappropriate <laughs> and just so disgusting. And how did we get here in this moment? <laughs> but, you know, it's just science. Like, I don't make the rules. Like, you get this rush of euphoria when you do that, like, for whatever reason. Um, 
So one school of thought is that there's this intense exchange of empathy for that release of dopamine that we feel when we see other pimples being popped, Mm. which makes total sense. You can bypass that disgust if you've experienced the feeling of satisfaction that you associate with that action. You know, you're not disgusted when you do it to yourself, so your brain can kind of bypass it. Yeah. Um, And the other portion of that is that we have evolved to understand that just because we see something that disgusts us doesn't mean we're in danger. Yes. So if we're watching this from a screen, you know, like, for example, if you saw a pile of sewage in a movie, you'd be like, ew, but you wouldn't be like, ugh. Yeah. You know, if you were there actually in front of it. Because our bodies have been trained to avoid bacteria and rotting food, but our minds know that we're not actually near those things. Yeah. It's behind a screen. You're safe. So you get to experience that rush of, like, danger, intrigue, disgust, without necessarily being overwhelmed by it and not having, like, the bodily reaction of, oh, I need to stay away. It's just kind of, like, a facsimile of that. Science is amazing. It is. So, in that way, even people who don't enjoy the sensation of watching these videos still might click through to it. Because even if it grosses them out, it doesn't gross them out enough to keep them from watching it, and their intrigue might be enough. Yeah. Um, And then there was an alternative explanation that I found that some scientists have discussed as the link between primal grooming behaviors and this desire to, like, pick at skin and pop pimples Mm. um, that comes from, like, our evolution. So Dr. Diana Fleischman from the University of Portsmouth says, quote, we evolved in an environment where there were tons of ectoparasites like flies, lice, and ticks, which would all transmit disease. Humans have evolved to groom each other to avoid these ectoparasites. Um, And we see this in, like, gorillas and apes, and, like, they do that because they're still at risk of that. Um, so basically what this means is that during our evolution, we enjoyed the process of grooming each other because the body evolves to find that which is healthy and safe to be physiologically pleasurable Mm -hmm. in the same way that it evolves to make dangerous things icky. So that could also play a hand in why these videos are so successful because like it or not, we like to pick zits and little pieces of skin off of ourselves. So we like to watch videos of the things that we like. Yeah. It makes sense. It does. So... I don't have much else to say besides something slightly personal. (gasps) I like to think that now, 28 episodes in, we have built a little bit of trust with you, audience. Yes, this is a safe space. (laughs) And that you won't judge me, because the truth of the matter is, I watch these videos. I have to admit it. I'm not a popaholic. I would not identify that way. Not that much. Um, But I have watched them. And it's so... It's so funny because, like, when I was researching this, I was like, this is so what happens, like, when I watch one. Like, it's satisfying for, like, maybe a second, Mm -hmm. and then I literally feel like I'm going to vomit. Yeah. And I'm like, I just, like, shut my laptop and I throw it across the room. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just, like, so grossed out by it. Like, I can't deal with it. Um, And I'm like, how did I, how did this happen to me? Where am I? But, like... I've watched them, and, like, when I see it, like, I click on it, because it's, like, I can't help myself. It's, yes. like, a car crash. Oh, my God. But have you ever seen them? I have. So I have, like, a very dumb rule for myself where it's, like, if I happen upon them, I watch them, but I won't click on them. Like, if I'm scrolling through Facebook and it's one of those autoplay videos. That sounds like a junior papaholic. I'll start, I'll stop you scrolling. You maybe, you maybe listen. Yeah. But, you know, I'll, I'll take a peek. I'll, like, leave my app open and just kind of be glancing. But I don't, like, search them out. They have to come to me, like, and then it's kismet and I watch them. 
But I also, I've gotten cyst removed from my head. You've told me that, and you offered that I could come with you and get removed. Yeah, I have more that I have to get removed from my my brain, so. They're not in my brain, they're They're just on your head. Yeah, but no. They're very weird, they're just like little sacks. Yeah. Um, can I tell you my rule, which is, I watch them on my boyfriend's phone, (laughs) so it doesn't show up in my search. What is, how does he feel about that? He feels fine about it. Oh, good. That's he love. watches them sometimes, too. I'm gonna out him right now. Oh, my God. Not on purpose, but, like, I'll be watching it, and he'll be like, ew, gross, but then, like, sit there and watch it <laughs> yeah. for the rest of the video. Oh, my God. But I'm like, can I borrow your phone for a second? And he's like, are you gonna do that thing? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no. <laughs> but that way, I watch so much YouTube, like, it doesn't come up. It doesn't fuck with your algorithm. As my suggested algorithm. Yeah. <laughs> um, which... What a good man, right? Oh my god. That's what you need out of a loving partner. I agree. Willing to have their algorithm fucked up for your weird interests. So true. (laughs) But that's it. I mean, we covered so much Uh, ground. Guys, we talked about so much today. None of it good. Although, you know what? This kind of feels, Allie, like the end of a pimple popping video. It does. I've been disgusted, but now it's like a rush of dopamine. It's over. We did it. And we did it. It's a release. So you guys should just go... You know, relax, mm-hmm. play a couple of those pimple popping videos. Hell yeah. Listen to some Metallica if yeah. you want to embrace your inner goth. Paint your nails black. Hell yeah. Um, and stay horrified. Stay horrified. Stay horrified.